Well, if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Proverbs chapter 4 and Daniel chapter 3. We're continuing in a series that we've been teaching here. This is actually part 3 called The Ancient Path of Wisdom. The Ancient Path of Wisdom. Now, if you haven't heard either one of the, the first two installments of these messages, go to calvary.online and you can listen to them. It's all there as a resource. You could subscribe to our podcast and get those downloaded to your phone and be encouraged in your car, wherever you listen to those things. We want you to stay connected to what God, what we believe God is saying to us as a fellowship. Um, how many of you know uh, that right now, more and more, it seems like common sense is becoming less common? It's very true. It's very true. The things that we knew to be true uh, 40 years ago, people are questioning. People are wondering whether or not they're still true. And I, I just want to tell you, there is a way of wisdom that exists. And wisdom is of great value, especially in a time when there's so many questions. That's why Proverbs 4, we've been focusing on it, looking at it. I want you to memorize this. I want you to, this is going to help accelerate you in your pursuit of God. And it says this, get wisdom. Get wisdom. Look at your neighbor and say, get wisdom. Oh, I'm so happy that so many husbands did not look at their wives in that moment and say that. You look for anybody else, just not your wife. That is so good. I've been praying about that all week because last week you looked right at her, okay? You're growing in love and grace, and I promise you you're going to live this week because of that. Awesome. Get wisdom. This is the, the scripture, and it says this, get understandings, don't don't forget, don't turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her. She will preserve you. Love her and she will keep you. We need wisdom. And God says, you need to find it. You need to find it. But most of the time when we need wisdom, it's because we're like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Well, what do we call that metaphorically? We call it a crossroad. And Jeremiah chapter 6 says this, this is what the Lord said, stand at, a cro at the crossroads and look. How many of you know our nation's at a crossroads right now? The church in America is at a crossroad. Uh, you know, which way are we going to go? And I believe this is what God is saying, stand at the crossroads and look. And the, and the word look, you could actually say watch. It means, it means to pray. It means to actively look. It means to see what's on the horizon and then to do something. And what do you do when you're looking? It says, ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. How many of you know it's no, it does us no good to pray for wisdom for God then to release wisdom if we don't do it. We actually have to walk in wisdom. And so this whole series is really about us embracing wisdom because wisdom is the ancient path. And I, de I define wisdom this way. It's the proper attitude, belief, or course of action. Wisdom is the right way to think, the right way to believe, and the right way to live. And by the way, I know that's pretty uncommon to say that there is a right way to think. And there is a right way. Let me say it this way. There is a righteous way to think. 
a righteous way to believe, and a righteous way to live. Righteous means I have equity with God. It means to be in good standing with God. And God wants to fill our minds and fill our hearts and fill our feet with the right direction. And he uses wisdom, his wisdom to do it. Now, what we talked about uh, last week was this whole idea that, that wisdom was actually being opposed by a system called Babylon. I've, I think some kids brought in something with them. It's trying to buzz around me. Beelzebub, die in Jesus' name. Curse you fly. All right. See if my faith works. Oh, Jesus' name. Um, and we see, we see that here's wisdom, but what, what is a, what is, Wisdom is being opposed by something. And we talked about it last week, Babylon, and I'm not going to go all through it. Please go and listen to the message. But Babylon was, in Daniel chapter 3, a, a government that came and took over Judah, took over God's people. And Babylon has been going on for a long time, from Genesis we find, them in, find Babylon in the book of Daniel. We also find Babylon in Re Revelation chapter 18 and 19. So Babylon is more than just one, uh, one instance in time. Babylon is a spirit. Babylon is something that, that moves across time. And Babylon means this, sown in confusion. So simply put, it means confusion. How many of you know God is not the author of confusion? He's not. But when you see confusion reigning, it is the spirit of Babylon. So I'm trying to teach you, I'm trying to give you something here, and I'm, I promise you by the end of this, by the end of this sermon today, we're going to have some keys in our hand that we can use to oppose this spirit that is railing against believers in Jesus Christ. So, here we have Babylon, shows up in the book of Genesis. Babylon actually conquers Judah. Judah means praise. It's a people of praise. That means a people who were called to be praising God. They actually forsook God, embraced other gods, and when they embraced other gods, confusion came and ruled over them. Come on, some of your light bulbs are starting to go on already. And I haven't even made the point. But I've got good news. When you read Revelation 18 and 19, here comes Jesus to deal with Babylon. Jesus comes as a conquering king and Babylon falls and the kingdoms of our God become the kingdoms of men. Babylon is conquered through Christ. And that's what I want us to all see is that we cannot simply be the church that is form only when we have such a foe who is railing against us. So today I want to speak to you, if there was to be a subtitle of this message, it would be called Overcoming Babylon. And we're going to go back to the book of Daniel. Last week we looked at Daniel chapter 1 and how Daniel uh, uh, stood in the midst of the pressures of Babylon. And we, we looked at what Babylon was trying to take from him. But this week, I want you to see the schemes of Babylon as Babylon was growing in power, as Babylon was expanding. 
Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were, were, were uh, exceptional in their day. Very smart, very well-versed, very learned. They were, they were good-looking. They kind of had it all. They've been now trained for years. And Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, has put them into service. They're, they're over some of the affairs of the provinces of Babylon. And now, as things are growing, as always happen, Nebuchadnezzar needs to celebrate the one who gets credit for all of the successes of Babylon. You know who that is, right? If you read Daniel chapter 3, it was himself. It was man. Nebuchadnezzar says, wow, things are amazing in this land of confusion. Things are amazing in this land of confusion. I don't know what I'll do. I will build a golden image of myself and I'm gonna have people fall down and worship it. They're gonna, they have to fall down and worship it and if they don't, there will be a terrible price to pay. They'll be thrown in a burning, fiery furnace. Now, we know that today it is very common in our society to celebrate man and to give man all of the credit. But let me tell you what happens when you give man all of the credit. Confusion reigns. But there are people that God is raising up in this hour to be modern day Shadrach, Meshachs, and Abednegoes who say no matter what is erected, no matter the cost, I am going to take a stand. And that's what they did. They called them to worship. The whole, the whole world, all of the leaders bowed before this image except Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They all bowed. And I, wanna, I want you to look at a passage with me in, in Daniel 3 here. And what we're going to see are some of the schemes of Babylon. You see, the scripture tells us, the Apostle Paul wrote this to the church. He says, I do not want you to be unaware of Satan's schemes. If you knew Satan's plans for you, wouldn't you be better prepared to, uh, to, to, be, to deal with them when they come? Listen, as a shepherd, I know some of you are going, wow, why are you talking about Babylon? Here's why. Because as a shepherd, I carry a rod and I carry a staff. And when I see something that is trying to come against the church, I immediately, uh, in prayer, beat it away from your life. I am saying, God, will you protect the sheep of God? God, will you do something? something and awaken them. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to today to expose the influence of Babylon and show you some keys to your own personal victory. Here's why. Because more than likely, I won't be preaching in your living room. You won't have our worship team right there in the moment of testing. And you need to know when this thing is coming against you. And it will. And it is. Notice what happens in Daniel chapter 3 to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, 
gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now, if you are ready at the time, you can hear the sound of the, the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music, and you shall fall down and worship the image which I have made good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into a burning fiery furnace and who is God who will deliver you from my hands I want you to see something today where I believe in here there's three schemes of Babylon and I promise you in some ways you will encounter these personally in this day first is this Babylon intimidates the spirit of confusion intimidates notice Nebuchadnezzar comes in what rage and fury Rage and fury. Why? I mean, here's what he's done. He has fed these guys. He's kept these guys. He could have enslaved them. He's trained these guys. Matter of fact, even three years they were trained before they could even come before the king. And now he has them over their affairs and they are not doing what he wants to do. So Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, comes in rage and fury. Listen, Satan will try to come at you with rage and fury to intimidate you. And by the way, this is not a new uh, plot. You guys know the story of, of David and Goliath, right? The armies of Israel and the armies of the Philistines stood apart. And day after day, this nine-foot giant would come out from the armies of the Philistines and would shout and hurl inserts and say, send me your champion. And whoever wins our battle, the other armies will be the slave. And for, for day after day after day, Goliath was intimidating, and I want to tell you that today in our nation, there are giants who are shouting at the church and the people of God saying, listen, you're going to fall. I'm going to take you down. I'm going to take you out in rage and fury. If you stand for, listen, this is what the giants are saying right now. If you stand for Jesus, you're going to be ostracized. You're going to be rejected. You're going to lose your job. If you haven't heard the voice already, you will hear it. And I promise you that voice is not coming from God. It's coming from a giant called Babylon. It's coming from a giant trying to intimidate you. But I've got good news. If you have a real relationship with God, you can stand on 2 Timothy 1. God has not given us a spirit of timidity or cowardice or fear. This is the amplified version. God has not given us a spirit of timidity, cowardice, or fear, but he has given us a spirit of power and of love and of sound judgment and of personal discipline, abilities that result in calm, well-balanced mind and self-control. Boy, I tell you what, when you know the kind of spirit that, that you have received from God, when the spirit of intimidation and fear tries to come against you, you're saying, that's not my spirit. I'm not a coward. I won't be intimidated. I'm not backing down. 
Listen, fear has been rampant in the church in this hour. And it's all because Babylon intimidates. The giant is trying to intimidate you. Don't give in to the scheme of Babylon. When you see fear coming, you need to remember what uh, uh, Joyce Meyer, great Bible teacher, she, she teaches a lot, and I've heard her say this so many times, um, that fear is, is like an acrostic. It's false evidence appearing real. Most of the fears that we embrace is us worrying about outcomes that will never happen. Yeah. And this is what Babylon has been saying. Babylon has been saying against the church, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. If you really take a stand for God, if you stand and don't kneel. No, I'm not talking about the news. I'm talking about Daniel. If you stand and don't kneel. Listen, I didn't write this book, but I love to quote it. If you stand for God and don't kneel, Babylon is going to be in rage and fury. Matter of fact, uh, I'm, uh, I'm so sure of it because I have watched Christians in their social media spaces try to deal with Babylon and they think they're going to fix it with a post. Has anybody ever fixed it anything with a post on Facebook? The only thing you did was satisfy your itch for a gotcha. That's all you did. But here's what I want to tell you, church. Listen to me. If you, if you fight rage and fury with rage and fury you lose why you don't come overcome evil with evil you overcome evil with good babylon's tactic is rage and fury to intimidate don't give in to the intimidation of babylon the spirit of confusion next Look at this. This is another scheme. Babylon demands worship. You need to write this down. You got to get this. Babylon demands worship. Verse 15 says, now if you're ready at the time you hear the, the horn, flute, harp, lyre, psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the image which I have made. Good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Listen, Babylon doesn't, doesn't only want you to fall in line. Babylon, Babylon doesn't just want you silenced. Ba Babylon, the spirit of confusion that's actually at work in the world, demands your worship. Demands your worship. And, and when you read the book of Revelation, you find that the Antichrist and the false prophet, they actually demand worship as well. 
In Revelation chapter 13, he gives life to the image of the beast and he commands all to worship the image of the beast. And he says, then right after he commands worship, it says this, and no one could buy or sell without receiving the mark in their hand or in their forehead. Now, here's what I want to really show you that's going on in that moment. The two primary places of worship are your mind and your hand. Before your hands will ever be given in worship, your heart and your head will be given in worship. This is why when Nebuchadnezzar brought in Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he said, here, I'm going to give you our language to study, and I'm going to give you our writings. Here's how you think and what you say. Because if we know that we can change the way you think and change the way you talk, you, the next step is you will give yourself in worship. Babylon wants your worship. And believe me, church, I wish I had a fluffy pillow message for you this morning. I just fluff your pillow and tuck you in, turn on your little holy nightlight and tell you everything's going to be okay. But I got to tell you, you're a soldier. You carry the word of the Lord, which is a sharp two-edged sword. You are made for this conflict. You're here on this planet right now. That means God plans on using you. So I'm going to do my dead level best to get us all in shape for the, for the victory that is ahead. But Babylon, what's he, what, Babylon, you know, is not about tolerance. I, I, I read a stat recently that said this, 63% of people are afraid right now to openly say what they believe. What is that? That is a spirit of Babylon, intimidating, demanding worship. Make no mistake, Babylon is not about tolerance. It demands worship. Babylon says, if you don't celebrate my ideas, you are to be hated. And, and honestly, even in the church, we kind of embraced a little bit of this. That we think, you know, it, you, here's how I'll prove it. There's so many denominations just all around us. You don't have to just draw a one-mile circle around this church. We all have our denominations. We all have our different thinking. And instead of learning to honor one another, even though we differ in thought, we said, no, 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 I can't be with you because you don't agree with me that sanctification is not complete in the cross. And somebody else is saying sanctification isn't a lifelong process. And God is saying, you're both right. <laughs> oh, I could go on and on about the things that divide. And what is that? That is the spirit of Babylon. Listen, you know, church, we can actually learn to honor people we disagree with. Some of you should write that down. Some of you, that's your next tattoo. I'm not advocating tattoos, but some of you, that would really be helpful. Um, Listen, Babylon says if you don't celebrate my ideas, you're to be hated. And make no mistake, 
If you don't share the ideas with the prevailing culture, they will say, we hate you. You're to be ostracized. If you stand for Christ, get ready. Get ready. They're not going to love you because you love God. Our culture is not going that way. God will celebrate you in heaven. Heaven will be pleased over your life. And believe me, that's the applause you want. That's the applause you want. I want you to see this. When Jesus encountered Satan in, in the desert, notice what Satan says. He says, the devil t- taking him up on a high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all authority, all this authority I will give you and their glory for this has been delivered to me. I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours And Jesus answered him and said, get behind me, Satan, for it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only will you serve. Listen, do you see this? Satan is using that same strategy of Babylon. Listen, all this I will give you. Have you heard that voice? Listen, your job will be secure if you're just silent on Christ. Don't bring that up. Don't don't live out loud for Christ. Don't share your faith on your job or in public. You know, you might lose that contract. You might you might not you might uh, offend some people. Listen, I promise you that is a spirit of Babylon talking and you need to do what Jesus did. Get behind me, Satan. I'm not going to worship you, Babylon. I'm not going to worship you. Because I'm going to worship God and him alone. What did he use? Jesus used the word of God. That's why we as the church, we got to get back in the word right now. We got to get back to the basics of prayer and of word and of of encouraging one another, of, of, of following the leadership of the spirit. Believe me, church, I am so glad when someone makes a decision to receive Christ as savior. But my, my great fear is this, is that we will not follow the savior who has saved us. The church that follows Christ is the church that spreads the kingdom. It's not the one who wants the benefits and a manageable size God. So Babylon wants our worship. Look what else Babylon does. Babylon mocks God. The last part of Daniel 3.15, it says, and who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Right now, we live in a world that totally mocks God. Totally mocks God. Say, who is God to you? I've had people say to me, you know, oh, oh, you're living for God, huh? So God is kind of your crutch. I'm like, no, God is not my crutch. No, I'm a total uh, quadriplegic without God. God's my wheelchair. He's my source. He carries me everywhere. I can't breathe without him. I can't think without him. No, he's not my crutch. He's my everything. But we live in a world that totally mocks God. And our world says, we want God out of our families. You better listen to me. 
You should listen to what God is saying. There are organizations at work right now under the pretense and guise of being a, a good movement, but they are not. They stand viciously opposed to the nuclear family that God created. They are openly saying, we stand against fathers and mothers being in home. You know what that means? They want to throw God out of families. So we don't need God in families. It's happening right now under our nose. Right in front of us. And we're like, oh, what is this? It's Babylon. It's confusion. Dads in the room, you want to help your kids be successful? Stay. Love your wife. Love your kids. If they graduate high school and grow up with you in the home, guess what? They've got a really good chance of success. Stay. It matters. It matters that we have lots of fathers in this community. But our culture says, ha, we don't need fathers. And it's wrong. And it's confusion. And we said, we don't need God in school. We know how that worked out in the 1960s. And by the way, I'm not promoting that every person in the school needs to be a theologian. But I do want to let you know that um, our, our government used to print a textbook called the King James Bible. You didn't know you were coming to church to get a history lesson. Our government printed the King James Bible. And guess what grade had to read it from cover to cover? Fourth grade. Fourth grade in King James. That was what we studied. And so all of us in this room have heard the spirit of Babylon say, separation of church and state. And we have no idea what that means. We think that that means that we have to keep the church out of government. No, it was all about keeping the government out of this building. It was all about keeping the government from actually controlling and imposing a certain religion on anybody. That was what that was all about. Those letters were lit, written to the Anabaptists as an assurance that that would not happen. And I want to tell you that when we as a nation say we want God out of our schools, we look for someone to blame when everything is falling apart. But Babylon mocks and says, we don't need God in our schools. We don't need God in our government. Listen, it does not take a theologian to tell you we need God in our government. Why? There's so much confusion. And let me tell you, there's a more devious aspect of, of Babylon. Because in some ways, we've said, God, we want you out of our church. That we'd rather have religion that is manageable rather than a God who comes to take over. Listen, Jesus doesn't want part of your life. He's not a drive-through God where you just get to pick and choose, hold the holiness, give me a little more prosperity on the side. You know, we're just kind of picking and choosing. No, 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 no. He is God. And in some ways, we've said, God, out of our church. 
Because we don't want you to come and really arrest our hearts and change our lives. We just want to feel better on Monday than we did on Sunday because of what we were doing on Saturday. Help us, Jesus. Babylon mocks God, and Babylon tries to sneak in the front door. But I got to tell you, God's exposing Babylon and the confusion. And here's what's happening. There is a David generation that stares down the Goliath of Babylon and says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that defies the armies of God? I believe some of you, God is raising up as Davids, modern day Davids. Who while in the midst of just going through your life, you come on a moment where all of Israel, all of America is being intimidated by giants. And here comes the little shepherd boy to bring some, some grain and cheese. And they're like, what's going on down there? What's going on? There's a giant intimidating the whole army. What? I'm actually convinced that David was a Republican. convinced oh here's how I know I know no I know I am right theologically here's how I know because King Saul spoke up and said listen whoever takes out that giant gets to live without taxes David said I'm in I'm in I'm in and by the way and then, then he was like and, and the king said, hey, and I'll, I'll, my daughter's really beautiful. He's like, yeah, oh, yeah, I'm definitely doing it now. <laughs> I mean, he's a man's man. But I want you to know, I want you to know what David did. David did not fight a conventional fight. Everybody down there is arrayed. <laughs> They're all arrayed in their armor, have their shields, swords, spears. You know what David did? He went down to the river. He got down in a river. And he just picked up a few stones from the river. You see, in Ezekiel and in Revelation, there's a river that flows from the throne of God. And everything that river touches, it lives, okay? And David on earth went down and grabbed some stones from the river, which is uh, indicating that the river is like the presence of God. And everywhere the presence of God goes, it, things live. And he reaches down and he grabs some stones, some things that he could take the giants out with are you ready for some stones are you ready to go and get into the river of God's presence which prepares you to see the giants of Babylon fall in our day? Are you ready? Let me just give you a couple of these because this is what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. In Daniel 3.16, here's the three, three stones, three keys to victory. This is what they answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods nor will we worship the gold image which you have set 
up. I want to point these stones out to you, and you get these from the rivers of God's presence, the wisdom of God, the river of wisdom that flows from God. First thing is that we live victoriously through humility. You say, how do you combine war and humility? And here's, here's, here's how we do it. Here's what they said. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this. The more modern version, it says, oh, people, we have no reason to answer your silly post. <laughs> you do not have to post. I would not recommend that you post. No one has won through those arguments. The battle is won through this first step of humility. We know that, that wisdom is first the, the fear of the Lord. Well, you cannot have the fear of the Lord unless it's married to humility. And look what the scripture says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. It says, likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. No, notice this. Listen, I, I, I don't want to uh, uh, really hurt any of uh, anyone's theology in here, but mostly it's husbands who can quote a couple of verses. First, Jesus wept because it's the first and it's the smallest verse. And then uh, most husbands can quote, wives submit to your husbands. I would not recommend that you quote that regularly or misquote it because it needs to be combined with, by the way, the rest of Ephesians 5, but also 1 Peter chapter 5, which says this, submit yourselves one to another out of fear and reverence for the Lord. Husbands, did you know that you too need to submit? Some, some wives were like, amen. Amen. No, it's not that way. It's not that husbands aren't called to lead, but Here's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to use the relationships in our lives to practice humility that we would so live humbly in our families that children would humbly submit to their kids and even parents would submit. By the way, parents would submit to their kids. Not in, the, not in a way that is out of order, but in a way that shows them servant leadership. I guarantee you, if some of your kids were here this week, some of you should let them stand up and talk, and you should listen at what God said to them. You know what that is? Submission. And when we start to submit to one another and we clothe ourselves in humility, you know what it means to be clothed in, right? The first, people, the first thing people see about you is what you're wearing. And you're wearing humility, and this is what it says. Then God does something in the unseen realm. God does something. In it. it says what? God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Oh, this is so good. God starts to fight the pride, the, the proud. And then what does he do? He gives grace 
to the humble. What is grace? Grace is not only the undeserved favor of God which leads us into salvation through Christ. It is that in its initial encounter, but it is also the divine enablement of God that comes upon a believer that empowers us to do what God has called us to do. And you and I are called to live in victory over the spirit of confusion that is reigning on this land. And it won't come because we we give in to rage and fury. It It will be because we are clothed in humility and the fear of the Lord. And then we'll step into victory. You see, humility releases more grace, and grace is God's divine enablement to overcome. This is how we overcome. Second key to victory, second stone that you could grab from the presence of God today is this. We live victoriously through faith. I love verse 17 and what these three young men say. He says, if that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. Boy, I tell you what, that just gets me stirred up. Here are these young men, young men standing in the face of accusation and and standing in the face of intimidation. And everything is against them. Their lives are on the line. The the fiery furnace is being heated as, as they were speaking. And here they say, our God is able to deliver us. And then they followed it up. And he will deliver us from your hand. Whoa, man, we need some of that kind of faith today. We need some of that kind of faith today. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Where did that faith come from in their life? It came from the word of God. They knew who God was. They knew his promises and they were standing on the word. They knew how amazing their God was. I actually think part of my assignment in life is to convince the church how awesome their God is. I wish more of us would just believe our God is awesome because he is. Have you heard how awesome he is? Come on. Do you know him? That he's the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, the deliverer of all people, the healers of our bodies, the defenders in the spirit, our advocate when we had no defense, the perfect sacrifice when we had nothing to offer. He is love, he is holy, and he is savior of the whole world. And he invites you into relationship with him today. Our God is awesome. And I love it. Malachi says, He says, I am the Lord and I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed. He says, I'm not changing. If he was a miracle working God when he was parting the Red Sea, he's a miracle working God and can part the Red Sea for you today. It doesn't matter the waters of Babylon that rise against the church. I believe it won't come near us. We will overcome. We need to get faith in God again. Where does that come from? It doesn't come from good stories. It comes from the eternal word of God. If you want to stand in faith in this day, it won't come because you attended church once a month. 
It will because you dared to pick up the word of God and read it and consume it and begin to eat it and apply it to your life. Then when the, when the rain falls and the winds blow and the storms rail against us, the scripture says, our lives will not fall because they were founded on the teachings of Christ. This is the truth. And we need faith. We need a church that says today, I'm not bowing. I don't serve your gods. And my God is able to deliver. And he will deliver us from your hand. He will. Thirdly, this goes right with it. We live victoriously through resolve. You might say this in another way, with a steadfast spirit that I'm not giving up. I'm not quitting. I hope that today you haven't come and you're just like, oh, I'm just going to try church for a week. If you're a visitor, we're so glad you're here. But many of us here, uh, we're, we're not, we're, we're not part-time. We're all the way. We're sold out. We're going to love, we're going to give, we're going to reach, we're going to preach, we're going to go wherever God says go. When God says go to Ghana, you just, you say, okay, God, uh, I need the money. God gives the money and he makes a way. And then you find yourself on the other side of the planet, praying for people, seeing people healed, seeing, seeing ministry schools established, seeing churches planted. When God says go, you'll go to Honduras, you'll go all over the world. When God says to do something, you just do it. You found some people with no exit ramps. We have a super highway. It's called the kingdom of God. It gets established here, but then all of a sudden there's a bridge that leads us right to his throne. And we enter into his presence when Jesus returns and he is coming back. We need some holy resolve. I love it. It says, verse 18, but if not, you know what the but if not is? He will deliver us. But if he doesn't, let it be known. We do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. He says, even if he doesn't, you need to know. James 1.12 in the NIV says it this way, blessed is the one who perseveres under trials, pressure, under, perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Listen, we need to say, I don't have an exit strategy. God, I'm living for you my whole life, every day. All of my will, all of my talents, everything, all of my skill, I give it to you, God. God, my business, it's yours. I want it to flourish. I want to be able to give into the kingdom. I submit it all. My family's yours. My education's yours. Everything about me is yours. And here's what the scripture says. You'll be blessed. By the way... This word in the Greek, the first definition is happy. In the midst of a trial, you can be happy. Church, I can't tell you how many times people have said, you know, you're awfully happy in the middle of this pandemic. I just tell people, I tried depressed, I don't like it. you're blessed because I'm not, I'm not giving up now this is what they did 
They lived in resolve. And I want, I want to show you as we just look at what happens when you live with these keys to victory that they demonstrated in Daniel chapter 3. We're going to finish up and wrapping up with this. Daniel 3.22, it says, Therefore, because the king's command was urgent, the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of fire killed those men, note that, killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and he rose in haste and spoke saying to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the son of God. Oh man, this is good stuff. This is good stuff. You know who the fourth man in the fire was, right? It was Jesus. It was Jesus. Only a few hundred years before he was born. How in the world does Jesus show up before he's born? Well, first of all, he's God. He's eternal from the, very, from the absolute beginning. But let me say it to you a, dif a different way. If you need him bad enough and you know him well enough and you call on him, He'll show up early. That's our God. He shows up early. He shows up and, then, and here's what you need to know. Wisdom always leads to a revelation of Jesus. It leads to a revelation of Jesus. And if I had time, and I don't because I'm closing with this. Note, note this. The men who went to the burning, fiery furnace and threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in, they died from the heat. After this moment in Daniel 3, Nebuchadnezzar comes down to the mouth of the same furnace and yet doesn't die. Here's what I want to say to you. When Jesus is in the fire, grace shows up for the seeker. When Jesus is in the fire, listen, the first guys approached the fire and got nothing but judgment. But when grace was in the fire, the ones who approach to see who is this one that looks like the son of man, grace shows up for the seeker. And I want to tell you today, in the midst of the fire of Babylon's flames, which are raging in this world and nation, there is one who has come. His name is Jesus, and you don't have to fear death. You can draw near to him in the midst of the fire, and grace is able to save.